We've been starting this series last week uh, on Jonah, uh, and I love the, the book of Jonah. I told you this. It's so fantastic. It's, it's, it's got these great epic movie dynamics of a guy who runs as hard and as fast as he can from God, and a God who you cannot run from, and a God who goes, okay, you know, you can resist me, but I have incredibly creative ways of finding you and grabbing you even in the belly of a fish and bringing you back to me. And so last week we talked about how uh, we see God in this and, and, and the, the size and the shape of God is so much bigger than we tend to think of God. And a God who loves Jonah so much that when Jonah runs, he, God chases him. And Jonah just keeps running into God. As he runs... The opposite way, and, and uh, if you were here last week, I probably uh, shared with you, and maybe you remember this, that, that he wasn't running the opposite way from Nineveh. We're not told that. What we're told is he's running away from God. He's running the opposite way from God, which is impossible. And he finds that out. We cannot run from God because God loves us so much. He is chasing behind us and he's already ahead of us. And uh, we run into him everywhere. So this week we're talking about God-sized power, and that's fitting when it's Pentecost Sunday. We're taking a moment today through our scripture readings, our songs, and things like that to remember the power of the Holy Spirit was promised by Jesus and given to his followers there in Jerusalem, and, and it came again in these weird, wonderful, unique, God-sized ways where all of a sudden there seems... There's something like tongues of fire is the best way they could explain it. And these guys all of a sudden are able to speak in other languages and they go outside and there's people outside that actually understand those languages and hear the good news of Jesus Christ and the church begins not with a whimper but with a big bang. And I love it. And it's, it's just movie size, God size, huge. Well, last week we ended the story with Jonah where he said, you know, I'm the one that caused this huge, terrible storm. And if you want the storm to go away, just throw me overboard and help me commit suicide. So they, and they, they don't want to do that. You remember they tried to row back and yeah, everybody's fighting against God that moment. But Jonah goes over the, you know, over the board. He goes over the side of the ship. He's in the water. And I'm sure there was part of Jonah that thought, okay, it's, it's done. I finally win. I lose, but I think I got my way. And um, I, you know, I had this kind of humorous thought. Here's Jonah, who's probably not trying very hard to tread water. I mean, he really does not want to go to Nineveh in, in, in the most incredible ways. I do not want to go to Nineveh. I'd rather die than go to Nineveh. And he's in the water and the waves are still probably pretty big and the wind is blowing and he thinks, see God, I just showed you. And he turns around and, we, and here's this big fish. And Jonah goes, oh, I thought I'd just drown. I'm fish food. And it looks like, I'm sure it looks like to Jonah that this is punishment. I jumped overboard. I tried to get out of doing this. I tried to get out of doing it so bad that I tried to kill myself and so I didn't have to do it. And you know what? God comes along and goes, hey, you see that really big, smelly, unpleasant fish? And Jonah's probably sitting there going, oh, no. 
And it feels like being punished for my disobedience, for my waywardness, my rebellion against God. So I want you to think about this, because what happens next is, is significant and it's protracted. It doesn't just happen in a moment. But what happens next is, is God really gets a hold of Jonah in a rather unpleasant way. But Jonah has a huge change of heart. And in that change of heart, he offers the Lord prayer. He goes to God in prayer. And, then, and, and one commentator I read said, you know, Jonah probably didn't write this prayer in the fish. I mean, there was no typewriter. There was no paper and pencil for Jonah to write. I'm sure he couldn't just go up to the fish's stomach and go, you know. But when he looked back, probably, is when he penned these words. And he looked back on this situation and he remembers being in that fish and crying out to God. And I doubt Jonah used the words we're going to read in a moment, but, it, but the, the sentiment of his heart is still there. The way he called out to God still remains. He remembers that and he writes out this prayer. And so I want you to remember on this Pentecost Sunday that there's a link between our prayers and God's power. Last week I told you I do not understand. It seems foolish to me the way that God works in this story. It seems foolish to me that God wants to work with the people of Nineveh. It seems foolish to me that he wants to use Jonah to do it. It seems foolish to me that he uses a storm to interact with Jonah and the other sailors. But that's the way God chooses to do it. It also seems foolish to me that God's power is somehow linked to our prayers. Why in the world is it that God listens to us and somehow interacts with us through our hearts, our words, our gestures back to him. But it's undeniable. The prayers of God's people change things. And they seem to activate the heart of God to do things. And so just keep that in mind as we, we're going to walk through this a little bit and how Jonah spent three days Three whole days in that fish. He spent three whole days fasting. I'm certain of that. And praying. And so here, here's what we read. So this is Jonah chapter. I'm going to read the whole chapter. It's not very long. And you can follow along with me. Jonah prayed to the Lord, his God, from the belly of the fish. Of course he did. Everybody else would. This is what he said. I called out to the Lord in my distress and he answered me. From the belly of the underworld, I cried out for help. You've heard my voice. I just, you guys that are, are Northwest, like, you know how I do this. I interrupt the scripture and I go, hey, did you notice this? He didn't say, I cried out to the Lord from the belly of the fish. He said, I've cried out to the Lord from the belly of the underworld. He sees himself in a spiritual position that is so incredibly desperate and dark. And he, it, it has nothing to do with fish. It has everything to do with running away from God. I cried out and you heard my voice. You had cast me into the depths in the heart of the seas and the flood surrounded me. All your strong waves and rushing water passed over me. So I said, I've been driven away from your sight. Will I ever again look on your holy temple? 
Waters have grasped me to the point of death. The deep surrounds me. Seaweed is wrapped around my head. We can all say yuck. At the base of the undersea mountains, I have sunk down to the underworld. Its bars held me with no end in sight. When my endurance was weakening, I remembered the Lord and my prayer came to you, to your holy temple. Those deceived by worthless things lose their chance for mercy. But me, I will offer a sacrifice to you with a voice of thanks. That which I have promised I will pay, deliverance belongs to the Lord. Then the Lord spoke to the fish. Now we get your yuck ready again. And it vomited Jonah onto the dry land. So we see this, this is just an incredible um, reflection that Jonah has. And, um, and I want to start with what God is doing here. Because it just seems to me that the way God works here is really heavy-handed. It just seems like God's not being very careful. Of course, Jonah's not being very careful. And there's, there's a lot of pushing and shoving going on in the story. And so Jonah, you know, he's overboard. And the fish swallows him. And then he finds himself in the depths of the ocean, in the darkness of the deep. And that's not just literal. It's figurative. It's metaphorical. It, you know, you can think of that in all kinds of ways. And Jonah cries out to God. But it seems like, that what God has done, as I mentioned before, looks a lot more like punishment or destruction than it does looking like, oh, this is God doing his good work. He's doing amazing and great things right now. It looks more like, oh my word, things just went from bad to worse. I only had a storm to contend with, but now I'm submerged in the deep, in the belly of a fish. This does not look like deliverance. This does not look like repentance. This does not look like redemption. This looks nasty. And I just, I, you know, I don't want to dwell too long on this because some of us want to eat lunch after church is over. But, you know, I just think about this and I think for three days Jonah was in one of the most unpleasant situations you can imagine. And here... It's apparent that God's doing something. I mean, what are the chances that you get thrown overboard in a, in a storm and survive? I mean, what are the chances that you're in the water in the storm and you get swallowed by a fish and you survive? What are the chances you end up in the belly of a fish and you're still breathing? Oxygen. And you, you go, well, obviously God's doing something because this doesn't happen. You know, it's not like people go, yeah, it was my turn. I was in the belly of the fish this week. It's your turn next week. You don't hear about that. And I'm sure when Jonah came back, he goes, you know, you guys aren't going to believe my story, that there were a lot of people going, you're right, Jonah. We do not believe your story. But it's apparent by the size and the shape of the story, if it's not God doing this, it's not happening. So we see this stuff, but even though this stuff is happening, I want to suggest to you that even though God is doing great, huge things, unnatural things. It's hard to see that God is doing good things. 
For Jonah in that moment to go, oh my goodness, I'm here in the middle of the storm, I'm about to drown, but wait, here's a fish, good news. That's not what he's thinking, I'm sure. And so seeing that God is at work is not necessarily believing that God is doing something good. Fortunately for many of us, that is not something that we live with all the time. But seeing and believing are not always the same. Especially the day and age we live in. We can see things that are completely unbelievable. Maybe it's because we're seeing something that is so outlandish compared to what we see as normal or what we've experienced before. It's just too outlandish and it's going to take us a while to process that this is the new reality we live in. Or maybe even more difficult than that is sometimes we see things happening but they just don't seem to mesh like gears with the God that we have known and followed and read scripture about for so long because it seems like in my understanding and my theology and the way I think about God is that God should work this way. God should be a God of order. God is a God of peace. And yet I'm not experiencing peace, but these things seem to be so large that it must be God. So seeing isn't always believing. In fact, you know, these days, we're, we're surrounded by so much that is contrived, it's hard to believe even things that we see that are presented to us on a screen. So you can see a video of a politician that looks like they're drunk and it's not real. We can see videos of people that throw a basketball up and it just goes in the hoop as though they weren't even trying. And I would just suggest to you, though half of those probably aren't real. And the ones that are real, they did it a thousand and one times before they go, oh, we got one take. It's interesting to me how quick we are to accept something as validated that we should be skeptical of, and we're skeptical of things that we should be quick to validate. And I, I, I'm not sure the dimensions of that in your life, but there's things in my life when people come up and say things to me that I just go, I don't think so, and I should trust them. And yet things I see on the internet that I go, wow, and I should not trust them. I think Stephen had a few things to say about that recently to our men and how we should have a healthy sense of questioning truth when it comes to what we encounter on social media. But for Jonah, in this dilemma, I mean, he's not seeing the fish on Facebook or Snapchat. He's seeing the fish right up close and personal, as personal as it gets. And I'm sure that Jonah was going, wait a minute, this isn't the way God works. I just, you know, I just wanted to die. And now I've got to die this lingering slow death um, brought about by the stomach acid of a fish. I mean, that's really, really nasty. And, and I'm sure Jonah was sitting there going, at some point he was going, this is not the way God works, not the God I know. And yet when he looks back and reflects on this, he goes, you know, Lord, you're delivering me. You're the one bringing me out of this. And so the word of hope I have for you at this point in the story is there may be circumstances in your life right now that you're going, this is not the way God should be doing things. And maybe we'll have the benefit that Jonah did to look back someday and go, that was not pleasant, it was not nice, I wouldn't go through that again, but thank God he did it. 
Thank God he used those circumstances to do this. You see, those times when, it's, when things seem so desperate and those times when it seems like you know, we're at the bottom of the sea in the belly of a fish, that's the perfect time for interaction with God. That's the perfect time for us to go, okay, Lord, this has to be you. It doesn't feel like you. It doesn't smell like you. But it has to be you. And so I'm going to talk to you. And I'm going to tell you that I'm okay with you. I'm not going to fight you on this one. And that's what Jonah does. So it seems like God is just being kind of careless and he's, he's throwing things around like fish and waves and Jonah but he's actually working his mercy, but it sure doesn't look like mercy in the moment. But God is powerful. He can do these things. So in this moment, then, we read this wonderful prayer of, of Jonah. In fact, um, some Bible scholars call it the Psalm of the Prodigal. Because here's Jonah who's run away, and now he's finding his way back, and he writes this psalm back to the Lord. But in this psalm, we see a couple of things that I think are important for us to take note of. First, we see that it's a song of lament. I mean, this is a sad story. And so he begins with this sad story. He's rebelled against God. He has found himself in the worst possible circumstances that we could imagine. And yet he goes, you know, Lord, you did this. You're at work here. And so it's a song of lament and grief and sadness that very quickly transitions to a song of hope and a song of praise. It starts out, for, for those of you that are musically inclined, it, it starts out in the minor key, but eventually it gets to a chorus where it changes to a major key and it sounds pleasant. And it seems like it's working out. And so here's this guy who I have fought God, I have run from God, I've tried to kill myself so I didn't have to serve God, and I'm realizing that God isn't that bad. Sometimes we have to be in really bad circumstances to find out that God is actually good. And sometimes the the circumstances that we classify as really bad circumstances are the the exact circumstances that God would bring to get our attention and turn our hearts back to him. So here's the thing. If this is true, then there's a part of this story where he is suffering that's actually good. There's a part of the story where he is miserable, but in the scope of the whole story, it's a good thing. Because Jonah is coming to the end of his rope He's run as far as he can run from God and now he's giving up. And sometimes when we give up our own ways, we turn it over to God and allow his ways. So here's Jonah and he is being honest about his suffering. He's saying, this is my circumstances. I've made them myself. I I caused all this stuff. And God interacted with me at every step. And even though I didn't like it, it scared me to death. It smells really bad. But this is God. And my suffering is going to serve some better purpose. So for those of us who find ourselves in these places, and, and a lot of us have been here, where we go, oh my word, how did this happen? How did we end up here where I, I, you know, I just lost my job, I just lost my loved one? 
I just lost my way. That maybe the Lord is working those circumstances and someday we'll look back and write a song of praise with Jonah and go, okay, God, I didn't like it. It felt horrible. But I can see that you used it. That you were a part of that. And so I think it helps us as Christians sometimes, as followers of Jesus Christ, to be honest about suffering because suffering sometimes leads us back. There are people around us who profess that, you know, we love Jesus and, and when we love Jesus and serve him and obey him, everything's great. And when we love Jesus and serve him, you know, all of a sudden there's, there's gobs of money and we're super healthy and everybody likes us and things just, you know, and I'm, I'm blessed, you know. I, I, somebody recently uh, shared with me this thing about thankful to be blessed hashtag thankful to be blessed and so they post these pictures of you know a cup of coffee and a great pastry on top of their bible thankful to be blessed because you know if i have coffee and a pastry and a bible everything's got to be good and i'm just waiting and one of you are going to do this now i know and and if you do i'll comment on if it's on social media and i'm there i'm just waiting for somebody to post like a a broken leg a smashed car uh, a house on fire and go God's at work, and I'm blessed. (laughs) The rest of the world goes, really? But if God is at work, it is always to our good. It is always to our benefit. The psalmist said, I have never seen the righteous forsaken or their seed begging for bread. There's this sense that no matter how bad things get, if God is with us, he will do what is good in the scope of eternity and we should always stand with him. And so Jonah finds himself in this really bad place. I mean, the house is burning down, the car's been wrecked, the marriage is coming apart, he's in the belly of the fish kind of a situation. And he goes, yes, Lord, I am miserable, but I'm alive And it seems you're not done with me, so I now have hope for my future. I now have hope for my future. And the song changes from a sad song in a minor key to a song that lifts up our heads to look out at what's coming next because God is at work. So, then we see that Jonah gets delivered. And I have to tell you, when you ask God to deliver you from really bad circumstances, be prepared. Because we like to think that when God works things out for us, it's just great. And all of a sudden, we're sleeping on soft beds with great music playing, with the aroma of roses around us, or something like that. But deliverance sometimes is messy. And, and God perfectly illustrates this at Jonah's expense for us. Because here's Jonah, and he's prayed this prayer, and he said, okay, Lord... I'm done running. I will do what you want. Let, let me go to Nineveh. And God goes, okay, I'm going to deliver you. I'm saving you from drowning. I'm saving you from that ship. I'm saving you from running. And I'm going to deliver you. And that, that one little verse, and then the fish vomited him out. Oh, great. Sometimes deliverance is messy. And sometimes we need to differentiate a little bit between what is relief versus what is actual deliverance. We love relief. None of the kids here will get this. You have to be about my age or older. How do you spell relief? 
Yeah, thank you. Okay, all of us old folks are laughing. It's great. There used to be an old commercial for this, for heartburn, because you're miserable, things are bad, and you can take a Rolaids and chew it up, and all of a sudden, man, you're, you're relieved of the symptoms. You feel good. That's relief. Relief is we come in when a tornado has wiped out a town, and we bring water and food and ice and clothing and a place to sleep, and people go, okay, whew, I'm going to live. I'm going to survive. That's relief. Deliverance is different. Relief just helps us to make things feel like we can handle this for a while. Deliverance is no longer having to handle that. Deliverance is no longer having to live in those situations and those circumstances. And deliverance doesn't always feel as immediate and wonderful and flowery as relief. Deliverance is working our way out of addiction through rehab. Deliverance is working our way out of messy divorces by counseling, prayer, fellowship. Deliverance is getting healing from sin over time. Deliverance is walking with God for years and then being able to look back and go, I am not the same person I was. So it's different between relief and deliverance. But here's the thing. There is a, a huge price, a difficult price to be paid for running from God or attempting to run from God. And so here's Jonah in these circumstances and he turns to God and says, okay, God, and, and God is so powerful, he could have gone, Jonah, that's all I needed to hear. Let me just wave my hand over that fish and, and like Star Trek, you will be transported. I'll just break down all your molecules and we'll take you to Nineveh and I'll, I'll recompose your body and you'll be clean and you'll be full. You'll have eaten and, and, and you won't be dehydrated. And in fact, I'll make sure you've got clean clothes and deodorant on and you'll be delivered. Movies tell us that's the way deliverance works. But God goes, Jonah, thanks for turning to me. Let me take care of this. And the fish throws up. Deliverance is not always easy. In fact, it rarely is easy. And it demonstrates the price of running. It demonstrates the cost of running from God. Some of you, like me, have loved ones who have battled addiction. And uh, I spent a while on the phone last night with somebody I love dearly who's battling addiction, and she's being very open with me about that. But I watch this and I go, man, there's a price to be paid. And so we were kind of, she and I joke around together. We're very honest with each other. And uh, we were talking about the price of alcoholism. And I go, you know, the price of alcoholism is more than the price of beer. And she goes, oh yeah, it's a hoot. My, I'm sick. I feel lousy. I can't do my job very well. My family's mad at me. And she went down this list. <laughs> and, and I was, yeah, I've been working on this sermon, so I gave her a little sermonette. You know, this is like Jonah. She goes, yeah. <laughs> but here's the thing. Jonah had a concept, he had an idea, he had this understanding that somehow God will get me out of this. That God and I together somehow will make the journey 
to Nineveh. And so he said, Lord, if you can do that, I see the hope of deliverance, the wonderful hope of deliverance. Now, unfortunately, we're going to see very soon with Jonah, he forgets. Because he's got this character flaw thing about always wanting to rebel against God. But in this moment, he goes, Lord, I know you can do this. I know if you can swallow me up in a fish and keep me alive, you can, you can get me out of the fish too. And the Lord goes, yeah, watch. So here's what I want to ask of you as we close. Some of you know someone who needs deliverance. We all know people who want relief. But some of us know people who really need deliverance. And so here's, here's my challenge to you this morning. First of all, I want you to pray for them. Undoubtedly, some of them are praying. They, they're, they're, they're talking to God even though they don't know who he is. But we know who he is and we know the power of God. We've seen it at places like Pentecost. And so we can pray for those people in the power of God's spirit to say, Lord, break the chains that hold these people. These people we know, these people we love, let's pray for them, let's lift them up, and let's pray God's deliverance into their life. Because somehow, like I said at the beginning, our prayers, Jonah's prayer, every prayer of every believer is somehow connected to activating the power of God. So for those of you who have given up praying for your kid, or your parent, or your boss, or your neighbor, pick it up again. Because God desires their deliverance even more than you do. So pray for them. Then the next one, and this seems really counterintuitive, grieve for them, and and maybe we should change that a little bit to grieve with them. Because when they come and they say, my life is a mess, for us to nod our heads and go, yeah, this really stinks, can be more encouraging than the person who goes, yeah, just get over it. For us to stop for a moment and grieve the cost of rebellion and to go, yeah, this hurts. This hurts when things are falling apart and we'll hurt with you. So you do not have to hurt alone. So grieve for them, grieve with them and then hope for them. If there's one thing I've learned in ministry about people who come to desperate places is that they often lose the ability to see what is capable, what's possible with God. And they need someone to believe for them. Because I cannot believe that God can get me out of this mess. And they need someone who can believe, oh yes, you can. Oh yes, this is exactly what God does. This is the work he excels in. This is his best. So pray for them, grieve for them, grieve with them. And then believe and hope for them and show them that you have that hope because they will not have it themselves if they're truly desperate. And then this last question, maybe that person is you. Maybe instead of you going, I know all kinds of messed up people who need delivered, who need to get out of the bondage they're in, but I'm there too. Go back to that last slide. Pray, grieve, hope. Because God isn't done with you. If you're here today and you're breathing oxygen, God is not done with you. And he has greater plans than you will ever know or believe until you resign to him and surrender to him. Amen.